Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We have finally assembled all of the Infinity Epilogues, as it were, for the Shadowrun game. These are epilogues that were written and recorded by the different cast members for what happened to their characters after the lens of the camera was moved off them at the last Shadowrun session. Clubgoers returning home Sunday were shocked to find their commute blocked by the discovery of a body of a young elven woman outside popular downtown nightclub, The Zoo. Officials say evidence gathered at the scene suggests a drug overdose, but medical examiners have noted several abnormalities that require further investigation once contract terms have been negotiated. The victim is as of yet unidentified as her sin has been flagged with undisclosed issues. This is Devin Spinka reminding you to stay safe out there, Seattle. That's what it was like for me, going from corporate slave, quite literally, into the runner I am today. I don't know how much more I'd be willing to share with you, seeing as you're just stepping into this. Somebody asked me to talk to you. I still run the shadows on a regular basis. I still work with Morgana. I've even talked with Scratch for a while. Boz, RC, they're there. I haven't forgotten them or let them go. If they ever do need me, then of course they know they can call. But running in the shadows, that's given me more more than what I could ever have hoped. Running in the shadows, I got my family back. I earned a new family. I have a regular source of income. Oh yeah, of course. You know, the, the threat and the danger is always there. It's always present. But that's not always a bad thing. It keeps me on my toes. I'm still able to learn something new different aspect of magic that I have never dealt with before still comes my way yes I still have a heavy hatred for bugs and all things infested yeah (laughs) you can say (laughs) you can say I enjoy the shadows I run them regularly so if you do need help as I send you back out the door back out of the pub Hopefully to never see me again. Reach out. Look in the shadows. Look for Scratch. Ask around. People know me now. I'll be here. Until the next runner gets me. Or until the job goes so far south, there's no way in drag. And even then, you better question it. Because you never know when you'll turn around. And I'll be right there. It is Friday, December 22nd. Chuck is stuffing a turkey. A real turkey. His mother got a bonus from work and has tasked Chuck with making a soyless Christmas dinner. Chuck jokingly purchased some edamame, saying he squeezed the bird to get all the soy out. It's a bigger surprise for his family, though. Chuck brought a girlfriend, Felicity. It's the first time Chuck has brought a girl to meet his family. They may have only been dating for two months, but they're pretty serious about the relationship. Chuck's sister, Lily, however, points out that... He really should have been starting taking care of himself earlier. Now that he's not a giant blob of fat, he just gets a girl. Isn't that lovely? 
For some reason, Lily's being more of a slitch than usual. Work must not be going well for her. Felicity is great at dealing with Lily. She doesn't put up with her dreck. Another thing to love. Chuck certainly has his type, though. Strong, independent, attractive elf women. However, Felicity differs than previous infatuations. She has green, shoulder-length hair, usually kept in a bun, but today she's being festive with a Christmas tree braid. Chuck and his father are in the kitchen cooking, and Chuck's father mainly helping by cutting and peeling vegetables. Lily decides to come in and help by determining the drink menu. An hour in, and she's already gone through a bottle of wine herself. Lily does help out with the decorations, at least, along with Felicity and Chuck's mother. And while they talk, Chuck keeps interrupting every time he's brought in, a little worried. Felicity makes comments about how cute it is, making Chuck flustered. And then he wonders if he should worry more about his parents or hers. They do fly out in the morning to St. Louis to meet them. Dinner preparation is going about as well as expected, and Chuck is basting a turkey about an hour before things are ready to be taken out, and he gets a buzz. An alarm triggers from one of the sensors he placed on a target for Boss's firm. Chuck checks the cameras, and something strange is happening. The cameras, they're gone. He sends a message to Boz, asking if she did anything. And a couple minutes go by, and Chuck gets another buzz. Message to Boss Lady has failed to send. Felicity doesn't miss much, and asks Chuck what's wrong. He tells her he's going to have to go into work to deal with the problem. He can't reach his boss. However, this is the first time the rest of his family has heard of his non-university job. And they are interested, but Chuck has to leave before saying much more than it's a contract work thing for his friend. As Chuck leaves, Felicity is bombarded with questions, but she doesn't know much more than the others. While Christmas is a great time of year, Grid Guide can be excruciatingly slow as there's so many people on the road and freezing rain causing accidents along the I-5. Great. Another buzz. Message to Boss Lady failed to send. Of course it did. On the bright side, Chuck can take the 40 minutes to review the guy's file. It's a corporation hiring a new employee. You need to make sure he's not too nonconformist. Yeah, guy's clean. No criminal record, just a parking ticket, but paid properly and on time. Biggest issue is he's recently separated from his girlfriend, and uh, girlfriend took the apartment and four-year-old son. Poor sap. What's this? Guy's apartment is blocked off and fire trucks. Well, that explains it. Frag. Chuck calls boss. We are unable to complete your call at this time. You should speak to customer service. Click. Chuck hangs up and calls Felicity, telling her there's a bit of fire at work and he has to put out. Don't wait up to start dinner. Chuck begins canvassing the scene, asking around, and well, there's a fire. The target's not there, but the sensor history should be, and injured or sent to Harborview Medical Center. Hmm. 15 minutes court to grid guide. Alright, well. 15 minutes later, and Chuck walks into the hospital. Front desk informs him his target is dead on arrival. Suffocation from smoke inhalation is the cause of death. At least his job is done. Another message to boss failed. Frag. As Chuck waits for another grid guide, it's racking up a bit of a bill here. Gets a call from Felicity. She got kicked out. Apparently, Lily really doesn't like her. Great. Chuck was really looking forward to a turkey dinner with tiramisu, however, he decides to meet up with Felicity at her place. Bucket of chicken, fried chicken, and some ingredients to make a quick soy calf cake. Things don't go too well at Felicity's place, though. It's not a full-on argument, but she's upset he left her there by herself. 
Uh, now it seems neither of them like his family. Hopefully her family's better. Chuck awakes from a deep sleep. His phone's buzzing. It's 3 a.m. and boss is finally called back. Except Chuck hung up without hanging up. Where's his comm link? What's, what's going on? It's not there. He bolts up in bed and Felicity's missing as well. Chuck leaves the bedroom and Felicity's walking back with a glass of water, apologizing for waking him up, but something feels off. This comm link is on the coffee table, but he didn't leave it there. Picking up, he looks, and it's half-scrolled through some old folders. Was Felicity looking through his comm link? Why would she? How else would have gotten here? He heads back to the bedroom to ask her, and she denies it and heads to the washroom. Confused on what's going on, Chuck checks the logs, and someone did open it ten minutes ago. As Felicity leaves the washroom, Chuck accuses her again, knowing she was rooting through his comm link. He's not hiding anything, but she should trust him. Boss is calling again. Chuck hangs up and responds with a quick DNI. I, I gotta call you back. Got direct to deal with. Uh, the arguments ensue, and Felicity's worried she's cheating on him with Boss Lady. Who is Boss Lady, and why haven't they met? And why is she calling at three in the morning? And after a few tense minutes, Chuck is still refusing to calm down. This is an invasion of privacy that needs to be addressed. Boss Lady is just a friend and co-worker. She needs to trust him. Uh, Felicity's in tears and tries to go for embrace, but Chuck pushes her away when there's a medical patch on his left arm that, that, that she put on his... Confused, getting drowsy very quickly, Chuck passes out, wondering why Felicity has drugged him to sleep when Boss responds with a, a message. Don't worry, we can talk when you get back from your trip. R.C. whipped the van into a power slide around a corner. Everyone inside lurched against their seatbelts and glanced back and forth at the human driver and the elf Decker. The Decker piped up that Kitty had lost their trail. Nice driving, he said, towards R.C. A few more turns and R.C. coasted into a parking garage. When the van stopped, more than one sigh of relief was heard. R.C. felt more than he heard the others shuffle out of the back of the van. Each exit caused the shocks to bounce a little. When Mike got out, it was clear from the bigger bounce. R.C. leaned back and grimaced as he moved his hand towards his lower back. Staring out the window, he sent a matrix command to engage the lumbar heater and massage unit he had freshly installed in the driver's seat. Another wireless command, and the glove box popped open, revealing a three-quarter empty bottle of Southern Comfort. He unscrewed the top, the scent of whiskey wafted upwards. He took a swig, then another, and a cough from the burn as it went down. Replacing the bottle, he sent a call to his mother. Hey, Mama. Nah, everything's fine. It always is, you know. I wish you'd just stop worrying. I'll be home soon. How about some KFC? All right, I'll get some on the way home. I, I love you too, Mom. After the connection ended, R.C. drove up to the top of the parking garage and positioned the van near the edge of the building. He looked down at the crest sticks in his hands and then out the window over Seattle's bustling downtown. He saw the taillights, countless cars, marching like red ants into the night. As he looked, an arrow window popped up, slightly obscuring his panoramic view, notifying him of the rest of the nougat he was owed being deposited into his account before fading away. What a mess. Boz wanted a simple life. Sometimes life just takes on its own momentum, carries you along like a raging river, Try to keep your head above water. After that ugly business with Mary Sue, Margana knew she could trust Boz at least a little bit. 
and a little bit of trust with the right people in the shadows can go along. It's a dubious honor going after one friend to protect another. Morgana may not have been around in the same way that Mary Sue had, but Boz respected consistency and integrity. Morgana was crafty, but she was predictable. She was a known quantity. She'd helped Boz in the past and never asked more of her than she was willing to trade. She never stabbed Boz in the back, that's for sure. And so Boz made that hard choice. In her mind, it was the only choice she could make. She stopped a bad thing from happening to someone she respected. And that act earned her that tiny piece of trust that would buy her a kind of security she didn't have as a runner or as anything else in her life, really. With Morgana's help, and Chuck's too, Boz got her private investigator business up and running. But rather than the legitimate business she'd been aiming for, it ended up a bit of a front. She went on to do investigation work primarily for Morgana. Information is power and all that. She kept tabs on people for her, dug up dirt, uncovered leads. Didn't ask many questions about how that information ended up being used. The less she knew, the better. Yep, she ended up on Morgana's payroll, doing old-fashioned work that kept her at arm's length from the real shadows. Chuck had come along for the ride to handle the Matrix half of the job, and while it lasted, together they made a pretty alright team. It was a lot of legwork, but handing the ball off to someone else at the end of the day to make the play, instead of risking her own hoop, now that was satisfying. It also let her settle down in Snohomish, and she made good on her promise to the mother of metahumanity there. When she wasn't doing work for Morgana, she was helping metahuman families, tracking down missing kids, finding stolen property, that kind of thing. Mostly for a pittance, or pro bono even, when some poor family was desperate. It put her in the crosshairs of Humanus more often than she'd like, Silhamish being like that. But even if it was more thank you pies and Christmas cards than actual Nuyen, the payoff of sleeping at night always felt worth it and Morgana's pay kept the lights on. With things settled down, she started to spend more personal time with Scrapper. He seemed amenable to the company, and with her life slowing down a bit, she started to entertain that little glimmer of a fancy she had for the big troll. Sadly, it wasn't meant to be. Buzz's new business relationship with Morgana was a little too tight for Scrapper's taste. He put in his time, put some effort into getting both feet out of the shadows, if there was ever any hope, that conversation put it to an end. They never stopped spending time together, but it stayed platonic. Old friends catching up over soy calf. And Boz never found the time or inclination to look for another sort of company elsewhere. Just as well. In her words, she was too old for that dreck. Besides, staying out of relationships made it a little easier to get back to Detroit and see your kids, in a manner of speaking. As it turned out, athleticism ran in the family a bit. All three of her kids were on school sports teams. Dustin and Chase both played football, and Lily played baseball. Boz followed their seasons and flew out for some of the games when she had time. She'd sit in the bleachers with the other families and cheer them on, yell their names, laugh and shout encouragement when they did well, point them out to whoever was sat next to her after a good play, boo when the ref made a bad call against them. You know. The kinds of things that moms do at games. Hidden away in the audience, she loved the hell out of her kids. And for a few hours, she could pretend like she was still a part of their lives. And then she'd drive back to her hotel room and 
drink an altogether too expensive bottle of bourbon until the feeling of loss went away. And she'd pack her things in the morning and catch a hangover flight back to Seattle, wondering why she put herself through this over and over again. Boz got lucky. She didn't die in the shadows, taking a bullet for a friend like she thought she would. Nor did she drink herself to death in a coffin motel or a shack in the Barrens. She may not have struck it rich after a big score and retired to the tropics, and she didn't disappear back up north to live the hermit life that she thought she wanted when all this started. So it would be wrong to say that she ended up happy. The regrets that she had followed her around like a hungry stray that she fed with vice lonely nights. But she survived with some of her independence, her dignity, and a measure of security. And that's something. Hey, Chummers. As always, thank you guys for listening. You are the reason that we continue to to do this. Come by, check us out on Patreon. We have a couple of different goals on there, all of which is oriented towards growing the show and doing more things in that vein. You know, we want to get bigger and better and all of that happy stuff. I want to give back to the cast for helping out and sitting down to play this game. The Patreon link is going to be in the description. And uh, tell your friends! You know, that's the easiest way to, to help us out without really doing anything super in-depth. You know, spread the word. And, you know, as much as I hate to drone on about it, there's those things about five-star iTunes reviews. So, but it is now time for the legal stuff. The music you heard was composed by and copyrighted by Michael Vadamikis and for use with the Without a Net podcast. The Tops Company Inc. has sole ownership of the names, logos, artwork, marks, photograph, sounds, audio, video, and or any other proprietary material used in connection with the game Shadowrun. The Tops Company Inc. has granted permission to the Without a Net podcast to use such names, logos, artwork, marks, and or other proprietary materials for promotional and informational purposes on its website, but does not endorse and is not affiliated with the Without a Net podcast in any official capacity whatsoever.